Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. We are David and Tracy Sellers, and we have made Vows to Keep. We've got some friends. We'll call them Steve and Jen. They're actually made up people. They're not real. Wait a minute. If they're not real, how can they be our friends? Good point. But they have 2.4 kids. They're the average American family, right? They got the five-bedroom home and the burbs to match. She faithfully fulfills her role in the home and the marriage, and so does he. They smile genuinely as they serve in the church nursery every other month. And on the off weeks, you can find them occupying the third row from the front on the left side of the sanctuary. They've got the right stuff for a successful life. But lately, they've both secretly been wondering, is this it? The passionate fire in the bedroom has dimmed to a small flickering flame. Maybe you can relate. The mortgage has 17 more years on it, David. So Steve, he knows that's at least how long he's got to stay at this job to keep making the payments. But the kids are growing and that always keeps things interesting. But between the two of them, Steve and Jen are slipping into a mind-numbing nothingness. We've been there. Yeah, they know that something is different, but life's just got to keep keeping on. So they do what's got to be done, and the slip and slide into marriage defeat and failure is closer than either of them realizes. So one day, all the kids are occupied, and Jen's taking it upon herself to take some action in her marriage. She thinks, okay, we said I do, and I mean to do something about it, anything that'll change the status quo. So she does what I did the other day. She does a Google search on keeping the passion in marriage. There was 22 million results on the topic, and they all point to one answer, sex. Rekindle your sexual chemistry. The articles read, change it up in the bedroom, and your marriage will be healthier because of it. Build emotional intimacy so the bedroom is hotter than ever. If your marriage was compared to a three-legged race, the starting line being your wedding day, you and your spouse are tied together with the vows of your matrimony. There's no other competitors, though, on your particular course. You've got the track all to yourselves. You're not competing with the Joneses. They've got their own race to run. Now the pop culture tells you that the ultimate goal of this marital race is a sizzling bedroom experience for the length of your relationship. Although they're totally not shy in relating to you that that's never going to happen. But that's the goal, right, David? As a listener today on Vows to Keep Radio, maybe that was part of your plan too. But there are plenty of other prizes that you and your spouse both had your eyes on at the beginning of this long distance marathon. Ultimately though, you wanted victory. You wanted to make it over the long haul. Like, babe, we can keep this love alive. You and me, we got this. Yeah, it's like that old air supply song, right? We we can't stop. The feeling's too strong. We've got the will to hang on, or maybe that Peter Cetera song. We did it all, babe, for the glory of love. Or there's always George Strait. You know, the old classic, I, I cross my heart. heart. If we got love, it's enough. But maybe after a few years of marriage, we're realizing that sexual intimacy and passion, they aren't the prize. They're the much needed Gatorade stand like you see in a 5K on the side of the road. I remember uh, I helped out with a 5K race when I was like 10 years old, and I was the guy who filled the Gatorade cups up and set them on a table, and the runners would come running by and snatch one off. Been there, done that. I'm picturing the scene already. That's what we're talking about. So if your marriage was an athlete's life and we evaluated it piece by piece, maybe we'd see that your course 
is a little bit crooked and it's full of some tripping hazards. Your legs need some major conditioning and your diet is lacking in calories and nutrients. And you know what? It's been a long time since you've stopped at one of those Gatorade stands. Here's your wife trying to go after a finish line that's half a mile from the one you're headed for. And the bond that's tying you together, oof, it is starting to chafe. But David, we've told ourselves we are in this for the long haul. Divorce has never been in the vocab around here. So let's just keep trucking down the lane. If you were sitting in the grandstands in front of the men's 800 meter final at the London 2012 Olympics, you wouldn't be sitting anymore. You'd be jumping up and down and screaming for the man from Kenya. How do you say his name? Rudisha. Rudisha. He breaks the world record for the 800 meter run, a little under half a mile in one minute and 40 seconds. A man who glided past his opponents, just like he promised he would. The kind of guy who makes it look so easy, and I'm jealous, he crosses the finish line with his head high, while the guy in second place looks like he's giving it all that he has. And he's seconds behind the winner, which is staggering in a race this short. If you have the opportunity to pull up this video, it is truly amazing. Rudisha lives to run, and you can see it the moment he appears on the screen, and those long legs eat up the ground. His purpose is solid. He knows what he's there for. But wouldn't it be strange to have all nine opponents in this race start off all sort of facing different directions, and when the starter's pistol goes off, three of them sit down. Rudisha goes off to find some popcorn and a soda, and the other ones start off in sort of a half jog down the track. Seriously, you'd want to scream at them to line up and run for all they're worth. And don't you know why you're here? This is what you've been training for. Radisha, you beat the world record four years ago. Do it again. Run for the gold medal, all of you. God's word parallels us to runners and our lives to that race. And if you read God's word, you see over and over again in the letters of Paul in the New Testament, from Romans to Galatians, from 1 Corinthians to Hebrews, and many places in between, the same charge to believers. Run the race. He says, finish the race. Train yourselves for the race. Run it with endurance. Press on toward the goal. And don't grow weary. I think Paul was actually pretty qualified to be a spiritual race coach, so to speak, because Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was on a crazy path of destruction heading nowhere good. And then on the road to Damascus, God grabs a hold of him and sets him on a whole new avenue. Paul had his eye on the prize of self-righteousness and God gave him a new goal to run for. Paul writes in Philippians 3 that he counts all of that self-righteousness as nothing now for the sake of Christ and the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. He considers everything else garbage that he may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul is our coach and our cheerleader today, and he has decided to run in the path of God's commands instead of chasing after any other earthly prize that's not going to last. God has put you and your spouse together for the three-legged race of marriage. Now Paul's got his eye on the prize, and it keeps him going strong. So let us ask you this. What keeps you going in your marriage? Is your autopilot so well-trained to keep on keeping on in your relationship that you don't even realize you've lost momentum? What path are you on in marriage? Is it the same one or is it a different one than your spouse? Is it God's path or some other road that's leading you to be tempted to give up? Here's our key verse for today's Vows to Keep Radio broadcasts from Paul in Romans 12:11. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. 
Those nine men who lined up for the start of the men's 800 meter at the 2012 Olympics could be defined as men of fervor. That word fervent in this verse comes from the Latin fervent. It actually means boiling. Even the men who had last place in this race gave it all they had. They were running for the prize, never once wavering from their purpose. These Olympic competitors aren't just putting their bodies into action while they think about that popcorn or what they're going to do this Saturday night. These guys are all in their blood boiling with the passion of their mission. So is your marriage one that's got that kind of passion boiling for the mission? Or is your marriage lacking zeal? There's not the long talks with intent about where we headed in our lives. There's no respect for leadership in a marriage. There's no desire to hold hands. Kisses become just pecks and then they all out disappear. A marriage lacking zeal and fervor sometimes can't be spotted at first glance, even from the two people that make up that marriage. They are lined up at the starting line. They even seem to give it their best efforts, but it's for a season. Life sets in, and as soon as they start going through the motions, weariness and spiritual atrophy become constant companions. A lackadaisical attitude and apathy become commonplace. As we look for the source of these symptoms, I want you to think about two different kinds of couples. There's the couple that's lacking in zeal and passion because they're on the wrong path with the wrong motives. And then there's the couple who's on the right path with the right motives and their zeal has failed. Two different issues, two different solutions. Now the symptoms can look similar at first, but the long-term results are very different. You see a couple who's in pursuit of their own prize, who's made their own path, they're gonna lose zeal because it comes from them to begin with. Their motivation is off. I mean, they're the ones who's thinking sexual intimacy is the source for marital nutrition. This couple first needs grounding foundation of why they are here and what their marriage is for. They don't recognize that their marriage is a gift, one where pleasure is only a side effect and it's accomplished when we bring God glory. Once they've got the real prize in sight, they've got some grounds for gaining zeal in their marriage, not losing it. Then there's the other side, David, the Christian couple who has a general idea of the purpose of their marriage and their purpose of life on earth, but they can lose their marital zeal for a number of different reasons. And that's what we're gonna talk about today is sometimes where David and I find ourselves at. So let's talk about the source of our symptoms for a couple of minutes, and then we'll close today by looking at some solutions. Remember Steve and Jen and the Burbs? Oh, our made up friends, yeah. It's possible like them. You know God's word. You know verses like Galatians 6-2 that tell us to carry each other's burdens. You know the Great Commission in Matthew 22 to love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the distinction and here's where the problem comes in. You're holding on to concepts like that as an idea in your head or maybe a sentiment in your heart that feels good rather than working out those implications in every area of your marriage. You know, in our homes when the front door is shut, we can hold loosely to those biblical principles, but we can also shift into writing our own principles, our own rules. Like, you know what? I'd really like to go have a glass of wine with my girlfriends tonight than stay home and do family devotions. So maybe tomorrow night, hun. I'd rather watch TV than pour encouragement into my wife and listen to her heart. It's so easy to sit in the third row on Sundays and just nod our heads. And even at women's Bible study to think, man, that's such a great concept. But it's hard to live out when your husband's being a knucklehead, right? And sometimes I am too. Not very often. <laughs> we mentally agree to God's word being full of wisdom, full of life, but we become the guy in James chapter one who isn't a doer of God's word. You hear it and then you deceive yourself to thinking that going through the motions is gonna get it done. 
You kill your fervor. Every single time. When you go through the motions. What David is saying is that without investment of your whole self, your whole heart, any effort, any investment feels like it drains us. The scary part is you probably don't know that many who know you can see right through you. Going through the motions can equate to faithfulness, but more often than not, it equates to unfaithfulness. It's a half-hearted attempt. So if you want to get your spiritual fervor back, that fervor back in your marriage, say, God, I want to do your word. I don't just want to do it in my head. I want to do it with everything I've got. Here's another reason we slip into lacking zeal in our lives and our marriages. It's easy to compare ourselves, whether we're feeling better or worse than someone else. We're saying, hey, I want their path, or hey, I would never be on their path. We pattern our choices after the Joneses. We have a new prize that we're after, and all of a sudden it becomes an idol for ourselves. It's our new ideal. This was Adam and Eve's struggle too. They wanted more. Many times when we have an idol in our life, We become spiritually independent from one another in our marriage, and that will kill your marital and your spiritual fervor. We decide to go it alone. We figure it might even be better that way. And there's not accountability to actually keep it going. There's no collaboration between the two of us. There's a lack of understanding for momentum and what our spiritual roles are. So we stay spiritually independent while trying to be tied together with our bonds of matrimony. It just doesn't work. Then David... There's what I would like to call the day planner zeal killer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Totally. Like when you're not sure when the last time you had a free night was? (laughs) That sounds like our house. Yeah. If you looked at the calendar of the seller's house, I think it could look a little bit like the calendar of your house. Overwhelming. We've got to run kids to different activities on different nights of the week. We've got meetings with different families and couples and all of these things which keep our family running. Second Peter 2.19 is a little bit of an eye-opener when we look at our day planner with an honest eye. It says, we are slaves to whatever has mastered us. We are a slave to whatever controls us. We become zealous for our masters of selfishness, pride, gluttony, fame, popularity. God's word asks us to be zealous for him, to serve the Lord passionately, with zeal, to be constant in prayer, pouring into our spouse, keeping our eyes on Jesus. But I think you're beginning to see the problem here, just like I am. I can't be zealous about a hundred different things. God has called us to prioritize our lives in such a way that our focus is not lost. Don't let your day planner be your zeal killer. I hope that you're one of those families, one of those couples that has your life in balance. But maybe it's not how you manage your time that needs some correction today. Maybe you were raised in a legalistic church or a legalistic household, and it's really easy for you to forget the grace and the mercy of Jesus that's been given to us. And when you're forgetful, like I am in this area, we begin to live by the law saying, okay, if I follow these rules, God, you're going to love me more. And when I begin to follow the law, guess what happens? and lose my spiritual fervor. And the opposite is also true. When we lose our spiritual fervor, guess what the first thing we begin to do is? Live by the law again. If you're not feeling zeal or fervor for your relationship with God or your relationship with your husband on a particular day, check and see, am I following the law? Or maybe David, this last one that we want to talk about here. Maybe I've just become complacent. 
I appreciate your honesty and your openness. It's so easy for people to get on the on the spiritual treadmill or the marital treadmill and completely slow down and think that they're doing fine because they're still pedaling. Well, complacency is absolutely a very big deal because satisfaction is the grave of progress. Paul says in Philippians 3 that he recognizes that he has not arrived at his goal. It is his motivation to, in fact, press on. So which one of these most hits home with you today? There is an antidote to get your marital and your spiritual fervor back. But first, it's important to pinpoint the source. But what about your spouse? Which one do you think trips them up the most? It's easy to judge where someone else is at and even sometimes point the finger. And that's not why Tracy's asking that question. What she's asking you to do is to be a student of your spouse. Find out what triggers sin in their lives. Or in this case, things that kill their zeal. And then pray for them consistently about that area in their life. You're in this race together. Galatians 5.27 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This verse is critical because you've actually got to start that process in your own life, whether your spouse is trying to keep in step with God's spirit or not. And you can start by praying for them. Ask God to change their desires to match his desires for them. Ask God to give you patience with them and a merciful spirit as they might stumble and you might have to help pick them up again and again and again. And then don't forget the importance of that Gatorade stand that God's got for you up ahead. Like Paul said, spur yourself on and spur your spouse on to finish the race, to run, to obtain the prize, to train yourself to be successful in the race, to run that race with endurance, to press on toward the goal and to not grow weary. These statements don't give us the motivation to run the race God set out for us in our marriage and in our Christianity. But you know what? They are the start of the encouragement that we need and your spouse might need to refocus the goals and get back up off the ground when we fall. Sometimes though, you might be the one in marriage who's tempted to give it up, to throw it away, either in your faith or your marriage. And many times those two come at the same time. So know what to do in that temptation. Don't think that you're immune to throwing in the towel. I want you to hear that carefully. Do not believe you were immune to throwing in the towel. A life faithfully lived in the past does not guarantee you tomorrow. So what do we do? How do we get our fervor back? Let me tell you about Paul's special friendship with a young man named Timothy. They had the kind of mentor-mentee relationship that I think we all hunger for. In 1st and 2nd Timothy, Paul repeatedly encourages Timothy to stay the course, to be the spiritual athlete that God has called him to be. Paul also encourages Timothy to tell him why he's still in the race, what keeps him going, Paul says, I'm done with my old ways. I am done with the old path. I'm done running in my own strength. 2 Timothy 1.9, he says, God's called me to live a holy life, not because of anything that I have done, but because of his purpose and his grace. That's my fuel, Timothy. That's what keeps me going. Paul says, I'm not just keeping on to keep on. I'm pressing forward with purpose. Is that happening in your marriage? Paul says, I'm going to be all in. He says, here's how I've done it. Here's my encouragement. He tells them, you've been given the resources you need to live out that purpose that God had in mind when he saved you, when he brought you into marriage with your spouse. You've got God's word. You've got the Holy Spirit we find in 2 Timothy. You've got the grace of Jesus Christ to keep you strong. You've got godly examples. You have what you need. 
Now you and your spouse, you may need to hear this kind of encouragement to keep going in that spiritual walk, to continue to make the right kind of choices in your life. When Radisha won the 2012 Olympic race by that huge stretch and he beat the world record, do you want to know what the first thing was that happened? All the other guys that were competing against him come up to him and they give him big victory hugs. Every single one of them. He's just beat them, but they are thrilled for him. They support him. What a great picture. And maybe Timothy needed to hear what Paul had to say that day. Maybe he didn't, but I think it's pretty probable that Paul wasn't just writing these things by accident because he also writes in Hebrews 3.13, encourage each other every day while it's still called today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Because Paul's saying here, Timothy, you can't be all in. You can't be full of fervor if you are enslaved to sin. When we're all in, we're in a place where we understand the privileges and the responsibilities of the Christian life. When we're all in, we don't want to sit on the sidelines of the race of our own life or our own marriage. We don't want to be like the church in Revelation 3.15 where Jesus says, you know what, I know your deeds, you're neither hot nor cold, and how I wish you were one or the other. When we press forward with purpose, God's glory as our goal, we won't lose our spiritual fervor. Our zeal will not be lacking because we know what we're for. We are serving the Lord. Now, I'm 40 years old. My life could be over half over, but that's a fact that's not popular to consider. We look at today, it's problems, it's needs. We set up, or at least try to set up our own little personal paradise right here in West Central Ohio. Our lives, our checkbooks, they prove it. When we begin to pursue our own little kingdom where we reign sovereign, we forget that we're just traveling through here, passing through on our way to an eternal home. And then we fizzle out. Our fervor disappears because our mini kingdom of self loses its appeal. I think that's why Paul says in 2 Timothy to remember to live in view of Christ's appearing. How often do you think about that, David, that we're just travelers and we are looking forward to an eternal kingdom to remember that when we finish the race, there's so much in store for us. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself awards us on the day of his return. Today, I want you to remember where you're from and where you're going. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. That word eagerly await in the original language literally means leaning forward with your head and your neck as you anxiously look for something or long to hear something. It's like if your mom said, here, come here for just a second. I want to tell you something that your grandpa told me 50 years ago. You would lean forward. You would want to hear exactly word for word what she had to say. It's like the runners at the Olympics. They weren't just standing there sort of looking around wondering where the snacks were. They were leaning forward with expectation. And that's the picture we have as we long for Christ's return. Eyes on him. When our eyes are on him, we will renew our spiritual fervor. We will look at our spouse with new eyes, even looking at their shortcomings with a new perspective. In conclusion, this might be what you need to get back in your three-legged race with your spouse. Know that God is on the move. Praise God. Know today that he is working and you're still here. You're still with your spouse because he wants to use you. He's got good works prepared in advance for you and your spouse to do. He's got a roadmap. It's a race for your life and your marriage, and it's not over yet. He's got blessings for both of you that are indescribable. Check this out from Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 4. Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, because there the Lord will display His glory. 
The Lord wants to display his glory in your life, the splendor of God. Verse 3 of Isaiah 35 says, So with this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. Encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear, for the Lord is coming. He is coming to save you. So we end today's broadcast on Vows to Keep Radio saying to you today from Hebrews chapter 12, take a new grip with your tired hands. Strengthen your weak knees. From Galatians chapter 6, do not get tired of doing what is good. And from 1 Corinthians 15, always excel in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Tighten the rope that's got the two of you going together in this three-legged race of marriage. Stay in step with the Spirit and increase your spiritual fervor together as a couple. Like what you heard today on Vows to Keep Radio? Listen to more life-changing broadcasts at VowsToKeep.com. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.